which may or may not be a storm. Uh, first off, if you're new with us, uh, we appreciate you coming. If you'd like to hear more about upcoming events or news for Pillar, uh, please go ahead and put your contact information in the iPad that'll be going around. I'll pass that now. Uh, well, we got one more announcement for you guys today. All right, baptism. We're hosting a baptism at the beach on Sunday, August 30th. We'd love to have you join us. The baptism follows the baptism class we had in March. If you didn't have the chance to participate in that and would like to be baptized, please contact John Ransom. His email is jransom at pillarokinawa.com. We, uh, we would love to look at what the Bible says about baptism with you and answer any questions you might have beforehand. We've got one more announcement. That'll be uh, from Saitomi. Hi, good morning. Uh, today I would like to talk about GTO. Uh, GTO stands for Gospel to Okinawa. The one of our goal is to pray and then work towards to see two gospel-centered church planted, uh, planted by Okinawan by 2022. The mission is... Uh, next picture? The mission is to spark a church planting movement in Okinawa so that the island is saturated with uh, the gospel. Our church, uh, sorry, our vision is gospel center churches reaching every part of Okinawa. Did you know Japan is one of unreached countries in the whole world? Uh, Japanese Christianity is about 2%. Uh, many existing churches are getting old, and many pastors are past retirement ages. Some of them uh, even serve two churches at the same time just because no one can take over. So we start this ministry 2018. It was dif difficult to start with uh, just because I couldn't talk about it with any Okinawan pastors. I felt like I was trying to open the door without the knob. So uh, I asked Pillar to pray for specifically uh, to provide one uh, key person to uh, work with, uh, with same mind and, and desire, and then also provide at least 10 people to join the um, training to begin with. And here's the picture of Pastor Kaz who uh, is key person, God answered the prayer um, to provide him, open the door for us, and 10 people, uh, uh, more than 10 people to join the training. So those group go went through um, church planting training last year, and even though that training that last year was relevant and then very effective, uh, we realized that uh, we need to have a deeper understanding of the gospel uh, for church planting and church renewal, existing church renewals. And so this year, we have been studying the gospel and have guest speaker to share testimony of church planting in Japan. We also have four new people to join us from this year. We used to be invited those uh, GTO participants to go on base to eat uh, American food together and then fellowship after the training. And they, they love it, and then they really excited to go on base. Um, 
this GDO participants are collective people uh, from different denominations and churches. Japan has about over 50 denominations, even though there are not many Christians. And Pastor Kaz told me that there are never... Um, had a church planted with different denominations and church together. Uh, it was hard, and then many people thought that it is impossible. Uh, this ministry, Pastor Cass thought that we don't know what we were talking about. He said, like, two church planting by 2022? You don't know what you're talking about. It's impossible. But um, God started working uh, each one of us and then, like, starting to change and then um, bring us to exciting to see that what God has done already. This is miracle to me because I thought it's impossible to have this group of people to go through this training. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do through this ministry. So today I would like to invite you to involve this ministry by your prayer. Um, GTO cohort really appreciate and I'm grateful that Pillar Family is praying behind the scenes while we have training. Uh, it means huge to them and uh, the protections over by your prayer is necessary for this ministry. So if you have any questions and I will be in toddler's room today so come find me, talk to me. And if you want to email me, um, find my email in Pillar website. Thank you. Good morning, Thanks, Jimmy. So Psalm 151, it says, Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So we gather uh, this morning here to praise our great God, uh, who is three in one. But it's not just here that we can praise him and worship him. It's just that he calls us specifically to gather um, as a body to, to worship him. Um, but again, it's not just here we can praise him and worship him wherever we are. Psalm 137, uh, verse 7 through 10 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. He's always with us no matter where we are, uh, no matter how far we want run. We're starting a new series in Jonah, uh, and Jonah runs pretty hard. But God still pursues him just as he's pursuing us. Um, so let's pray this morning, and we'll continue in worship. Our Father, we come together today in your presence as one people. We're eager to worship you here in this place. We thank you for making this possible for us through Jesus Christ. You have, through him, pursued us, reconciled us, and forever solidified our place in your family. This morning, we acknowledge to you our many needs as those who have gone astray and have turned each to our own way. Father, we come to you insufficient in ourselves to come back. We need your spirit to convict us and to call us home as you pursue us. May our worship this morning be pleasing to you, and may we see all of our needs met this day. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who joyfully answers our prayers to your glory. Amen. So we'll continue on uh, this morning with our catechism. We've been working through the New City Catechism. Today we're on question nine. I'm going to ask my son Gideon to come up and help us. 
Gideon, you want to grab the little mic? Or I'm not sure where the mic went. Oh, there you go. Matt's got it over there. You can grab that mic, buddy. So the New City Catechism is a way to help us um, work through truths of, of God's word in a systematic way. And so today we're on question nine. Gideon's going to help us with the, the kids' version, uh, and then we will work through the adult version. So Gideon, uh, question nine states, what does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know God is as the only true God. Second, we avoid all idolatry. Third, that we treat God's name with fear and reverence. So, Pillar Church, would you guys stand with us, and I'll ask you the same question. Or, Gideon, you want to ask them the question? You want to ask them? Okay. What does, what does God require in the first, second, and third commandments? First, that we know and trust God as the only true and living God. Second, that we avoid all idolatry and do not worship God improperly. Third, Also, his word and works. Amen. Thanks, buddy. You can just put that over there. So this morning, I want to continue that uh, thought that we're starting the Jonah series that God will always pursue us and chase after us. So let's sing Heart Won't Stop this morning. There is not a man or a beast. Nothing on the lands or underneath. Oh, nothing that could ever come between the love you have for me. I could lay my head in shield. I could lay my head in shield. I could make my bed at the bottom of the darkness deep. Oh, there is not a I could escape you, your heart. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after, coming after me. There's not an angel, and there is not an angel of the star. There is not a devil in the dark. Oh, nothing that could change the way you are, the love you have for me. And I could lay my head in Sheol. I could make my bed at the bottom of the darkness deep. Oh, there is not a place I could escape you. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after, coming after me. Sing, your heart won't stop. Yes, your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after me. Your heart won't stop coming after, coming after me. And 
has a new song this morning. It's called Ever Chasing God. And it's the same kind of thought process that we just sang that his heart won't stop chasing after us. Just like the shepherd who chases after the one sheep that goes astray, or the God, the Father, who calls back his prodigal son. That is the God that we serve this morning. And so let's sing Ever Chasing God. If it's new to you this morning, just kind of reflect on the words. But let's sing that this morning. Sing at the well. At the well, I heard you call my name. You drew water, you drew me further, my ever-chasing God. Sing through the rain, through the rain, broken so Yeah. 
washed up and wasted. You took my bruises, I took your spirit, my ever trading, my ever healing, my ever chasing God. Seeker when I was in sought, Redeemer by your blood I'm born. It's by your grace I am made what I'm not. My unrelenting ever creating my ever chasing God and all this I am for sure you are always with me you will never leave me and oh it's you I'm wanting more more than anyone thing that this earth can give Forever keeping, my keeper ever giving, my ever living God, my Father ever chasing, my chaser ever keeping, my keeper ever giving, my ever living God. By your grace. By your grace I am made what I'm not. Yes, by your grace I am made what I'm not. And by your grace I am made what I'm not. My unrelenting, ever creating, my ever chasing God. You're my ever-chasing God, my ever-chasing God. Amen. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, please turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship to going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a, th a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know... 
on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because they had told, he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Okay, thank you, Matt. Y'all may have a seat. Well, I'm glad that the, uh, the storm has held off for us today, and we're able to get started here. I personally like typhoons, but uh, I was hoping for this one to hold off, so excited to start this with you today. We're, we're in Jonah, and no doubt everybody in this room has received orders to the last place that you've you've wanted to go, or maybe orders to the mission, the assignment, the task, uh, the last one that you ever wanted to do. Um, sometimes you receive those orders maybe through the channel of a military employer. Uh, sometimes uh, they come through uh, the, the prompting directly from the Holy Spirit. Um, but that's what we see uh, is exactly what happened to our main character in this series. He receives the mission and the the, the duty assignment uh, to the last place he wants to go. This is long before the war on terror, but Jonah received orders to Iraq, modern-day Mosul specifically. Um, this place was definitely not on his list of preferred duty stations, uh, and he wasn't very keen on foreigners. Um, questions come up as to, like, why is God calling this guy? Why does why he choose Jonah? Um, we see that, and in, in this is where we're going. I'm giving you the, the movie trailer right here so you know where are we going with this. And that is, uh, through this mission, Jonah is confronted with the rebellion in his own heart. Uh, when he seeks to run, his good heavenly father uh, pursues him. Um, and in this, this series, we're going to see that while we're on mission, as God sent people, he, our good Father faithfully pursues us as his mission, uh, and we're going to be challenged to come to grips with, with God's judgment and his mercy in ways that require our hearts to be reshaped by the gospel. So that's where we're going. Uh, let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Father God, uh, thank you for chasing after us, for pursuing us. We're here because of you. Uh, we're here despite what we've done. We are here uh, despite <clears throat> who we were, you gave us a new identity, you called us, you saved us, <clears throat> you ran after us, we, we were running, 
and we still tend to run. We thank you, Father God, that you continue to uh, pursue after us and you don't give up. And uh, we pray that today through your word that you would pursue us in, in uh, what you're wanting us to do and what you're wanting to do in us. We thank you uh, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Jonah opens up with the briefest of introductions. It just says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Boom. That's it. Intro over. This is not the hobbit. This is not an hour and a half of sitting around the table with wizards and talking. I love the hobbit, but this is not the hobbit. Um, The author's approach here is a little bit different than Peter Jackson's. It is uh, to consistently bring to the forefront only those parts of the story uh, that, uh, that are important to teach us something. The author is trying to make an argument throughout Jonah, and you'll see that he uses several techniques, uh, whoever the writer is, it may be Jonah, uh, to these techniques to just move and progress that narrative along and just bring to the forefront those things that we need to be confronted with because Jonah is basically being confronted with his own rebellious heart and the the rebellion that is lurking in his heart the entire book. Um, So the thing that we're being taught here and what Jonah is ultimately grappling with is God's mercy and the rebellion in his heart. We also grapple in different ways with God's mercy and the rebellion in our hearts. So uh, we'll, see, we'll see as Jonah grapples with it, uh, these things that really run deep within him. We'll see that the, the father never stops uh, in, in his pursuit of Jonah. And we'll see, hopefully, you today leave today knowing that the father never stops in his pursuit of you. Uh, and, and that you would, my hope is that you would admit your own rebellious tendencies and receive the father's mercy so in verse 2, God tells Jonah to, to go to Nineveh. This is the mission. Also very short. God tells uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh and call out against it because their evil had come up before him. After that, Nineveh isn't mentioned again until the second half of the book. By verse 3, Nineveh fades into this blurry background and the, and, the, and the camera kind of focuses in on Jonah and just follows him from there. This is less a prophetic book than it is a book about a prophet, about his rebellious disposition toward God, his hateful disposition toward foreigners, his self-serving disposition towards God's word. Jonah is not the hero of this story. Jonah is not even in the ultimate sense the missionary in this story. Jonah runs from the mission. Jonah is the anti-missionary, if you will. God is the true missionary in this story. And Jonah, as one sent by God on mission to proclaim his word, is himself God's mission. Tim Keller summed it up this way in his book, uh, The Prodigal Prophet. He said, the story of Jonah with all of its twists and turns, is about how God takes Jonah, sometimes by the hand, sometimes uh, others by the scruff of the neck, to show him the problems with his own heart. So again, that's where we're going. In verse 3, having received the last mission to the last people group that he ever wanted to, 
the rebellion in Jonah's heart is exposed. And he responds to the word of the Lord by rising, but then running the other direction. I love the picture that the Jesus Storybook Bible has for this part in the story. Whenever I read it to my daughter, I always chuckle whenever I get to this part. If you can see the two signposts on the, on the boardwalk there, it's hard to read them. But what it says is, this direction, Nineveh. And in the other direction, it says, not Nineveh. It's clever. And it's actually right on, though, isn't it? I mean, because it's not really important where we're heading away from God's presence. Uh, the, the, the fact that we, um, that we are rebelling against God's word and we are going away from his presence, that's the crux of the matter. The specific place um, will really just matter in identifying, identifying that so we know, because sometimes we're not even really picking up on our patterns of escaping God to God's presence and where we keep going. So we need to identify that. But uh, besides that, the crux of the matter is that we're rebelling against God's word. So let's go ahead and ask the question, why did Jonah run? Part of that question we have to set aside until chapter 4 because that's whenever it's addressed in the narrative. We're trying to stay with the argument that the author's trying to make and kind of keep his, his structure because it will naturally come up. But something that should be considered right now and is very, very interesting is Jonah's past prophetic record. Let's look at his record to see what, what's going on inside of his heart, what's, what's in his head, and also his historical context. Whenever Jonah was prophesying, uh, Israel had split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So they had fragmented. The nation had split. They lost unity. Then not only that, that didn't solve things whenever they split. They, did, they weren't very good neighbors even then. They became so polarized against each other and so hateful towards each other that they became frequent opponents on the battlefield. They were fighting their own brothers on the battlefield. Things got worse as not only were the two kingdoms fighting against each other, but then foreign militaries repeatedly came in and, and had conquests that oppressed and afflicted the people. At the time that Jonah is, that this book was written, uh, or the setting uh, of it, I should say, um, Israel was paying tribute to a foreign nation that had, that had uh, 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 come in and, and, and had military conquests. So Israel was in bad shape. It was, a, it was uh, far from its former glory under Solomon. But instead of repenting and returning to God, they turned inward. They became self-focused. Writer Daniel Timmer says that they had become entirely self-interested at this point. Their response was not a, not, a, not a godly one, not a righteous one. Their response to their affliction was, well, let's put Israel first. It's time, it, we don't have any time to be evangelizing foreigners. It's time to put Israel first. So enter Jonah He's wearing his Make Israel Great Again hat. <laughs> and here's why I say that. I, I, I don't say that just to make a joke. Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings 14 as prophesying uh, that King Jeroboam, the king of Israel, would wage successful military campaigns and restore Israel's border. 
I don't know if a wall was, was involved in this or anything. In the border, I don't know if there was a wall. The text doesn't say that. But uh, he does prophesy this. And, and the Bible doesn't say that Jonah was doing this by himself, that he was prophesying of himself. The, the, the text says, Jonah, the servant of the Lord. And, and also the prophecy was fulfilled. Jeroboam did have some successful military campaigns that restored the borders of Israel to, um, to where they formerly were under Solomon. But the thing is, and this is very, very telling, we can't, say, we can't say everything about this, but we can say a few things, um, that this is all we see from Jonah. Uh, no prophecies calling out the wickedness of King Jeroboam and the wickedness that he led Israel into. On the other hand, we have recorded prophecies of prophets who were contemporary to Jonah, people who were prophesying at the same time as Jonah, and their prophecies were oracles of doom against King Jeroboam and Israel. They called out Israel for blending other religions together with the true worship of God. We kind of saw that in the, the catechism we were talking about today, the, the true worship of God. Well, Israel was blending paganism, blending other religions in with the true worship of God. Also, get this, commentators say that there were social injustices happening in the kingdom and, and, and Hosea and Amos were prophesying against that. They were attacking these things and calling out Israel for the social injustices that were happening. Sadly, these prophecies seem to have gone largely unheeded as the people were hungry for prosperity and as national pride increased. Jonah, it seems, had received from the Lord a very convenient prophecy. It couldn't have been very hard to deliver a prophecy from the Lord uh, that everyone wanted to hear, and one that even aligned with his own feelings of Israeli superiority. Uh, Commentator Douglas Stewart says, uh, he writes this, from the book of Jonah itself, uh, it is evident that Jonah was a a staunch nationalist, uh, pro-Israel and anti-foreign, at least anti-Assyrian. So a big part of Jonah's running is in his own political beliefs and, and feelings. Uh, he doesn't want any part of this mission because it goes against everything that he's worked for his whole life. Uh, as we get further into the book, we'll, we'll continue to find more heart issues, more unbelief. But Jonah's not like, unlike us. Let's not talk about Jonah like, Jonah, you're doing a bad job. I would never do that. I would definitely listen to Jesus and go to Nineveh. You know, this doesn't apply to me. Jonah is exactly like us. Our rebellion has many roots. We don't rebel against our good father because of good, legitimate reasons. We rebel because there is something twisted and misshapen in our hearts. Inside our hearts, we have yet to be completely shaped by the gospel. There are areas of unbelief where our hearts have been formed by, not got by God's word in that area, but by lies of the enemy, by fear, by shame, by the opinions of others, by, by pressure from other people. And because of that, there are parts of God's word that make us recoil and run. Now, there's also an intellectual part of this that we have to, that we have to say. Sometimes we experience a time of confusion. And, and let's just address that distinctly from, from, from the heart. Um, 
sometimes we're, we're experiencing this time of confusion where we're trying to figure out something like the, like, like the mystery of God's mercy. This is a natural result in the gaps in our understanding of God and his gospel. It's a normal experience in the course of growing in Christ. We're learning. And the gaps in our understanding are exposed regularly as we're, we're experiencing and seeing expressions of God's grace. And we're wrestling with things that are hard to reconcile. That's normal. That is, that is the intellectual part of this. And, and at least given our understanding and maturity at the time, it's difficult. But with that being said, the shortcomings that we have in our head are only part of the problem. We're not just confused. Let's admit that. We're not just confused. When we run, we're not just confused. We can't say, God, I just didn't understand. That might have been part of it, but it's not the whole story. Let's be courageous enough to ask ourselves the questions that kind of tease that out and bring out what is really going on, what caused us to run, because confusion doesn't normally lead people to run in the other direction. It may cause you to ask questions. It may cause you to hesitate and wonder, but running, what we do very often, the trying to escape, that's a heart problem. When we run, there is deep-seated opposition in our hearts to what we've been called to do. In our hearts, we're opposed. When that happens, we have to ask ourselves, what is the root of my rebellion? What lie am I believing that causes me to think running is a better option than listening to my good heavenly father? Jonah believed a lie that he, he knew better than God. What issues have, uh, on what issues have you run because you thought you knew better than God? Where, wh- what, what issues of running, when do you run and that's underlying it? Because you ultimately determine, and it will have to come through you asking yourself this question because we don't normally consciously think, I know better than God. Like we don't say that. We don't exactly think that in our minds. That may not be part of our, pro- our thought process. But if we ask ourselves questions, it will really, and this is something to really learn, it's a skill that, that we must learn is to be suspicious of our own hearts. It's, it comes naturally for us to be suspicious of other people's hearts, but how naturally does it come to be suspicious of your own heart? You know, especially whenever it's very convenient, the, the justifications that we come up with and we, with the reasons that we give for, oh, I'm not going to do that because of this. The next thing that we should think is, you know, it's kind of suspicious because I feel like the Lord asked me to do that. And all of a sudden, all of these reasons start coming up. Super good reasons, you know, or they seem super good to me. You know, let's be suspicious of ourselves and, be, and, and ask questions and, and look in God's word to see if the reasons we're coming up with are rooted in God's word. Or maybe it's fear. What situation or decision or, you know, discomfort are you running from because of fear? What uncomfortable conversation are you avoiding? We'll continue that, but first we're going to return to the narrative. Jonah makes it to the port town of Joppa. He pays the fare and he he gets on a boat. 
he goes to the inner part of the ship and he falls asleep. But if Jonah thought at this time that he would just be able to quietly leave Israel um, and God would move on to somebody else, that, that idea was quickly dispelled. Because soon after the, the boat leaves the port, God throws a violent storm on the sea where the, where the boat was. And, and here, is, here is the first point. I just mark this as the first point where we begin to see who God is really after. God has other prophets. This was actually a golden age of prophecy. There were, there were more prophets than Jonah in Israel. So God, God, is, God never pursues us out of like necessity. Like, I ain't got anybody else. Like, I can't do this. Like, you're it. Like, if you don't do it, like, well, I guess my plans are thwarted. That's never what is happening. He doesn't pursue us because he needs us. And he didn't pursue Jonah because he needed Jonah. He was really after Jonah. God could use anyone to deliver these messages to Israel and Nineveh. But it has become evident that, that God is pursuing him as he thwarts Jonah's efforts to, to flee from his presence. As the crew desperately scrambles in response to the storm, a series of ironies occur as Jonah's rebellion is exposed, you know, whenever you, um, whenever you make the decision to disobey, when you choose to re- rebel, and you are kind of caught in the midst of that, and you begin to make your argument, and it's just not sounding as good as it sounded in your head whenever you were evaluating whether you're going to obey or not. Like, it's just coming out really stupid. Like, well, Jonah is caught right there. He's caught in the midst of something, a really, really dumb decision. Besides it being a disobedient, bad, sinful decision, it's, it's also dumb. Sin is dumb. Sin is insane. It really is. I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm saying sin is dumb. And when we do it, we do it for dumb reasons. All of us do. I'm not, I'm not calling any, any certain person dumb. You know, this sin is dumb. We can never say that was wise to disobey God. We can never say, yep, that was good enough reason to disobey God. We, we'll never get to that conclusion. Never. So the ironies begin with Jonah being told to arise again after he was told in verse 2. He gets this time told by an unbeliever. He's told by the unbelieving captain of the ship. Pastor, Pastor Eric Mason comments on this. And he says that this is like an image of, a, of the, the unbelieving captain unknowingly prophesying to Jonah in his spiritual sleep. Get that. This is Jonah's job, and somebody else who has no idea how to do it, and no idea about God, is telling him how to do it. He's waking him up to his responsibilities. When a Christian or expressions of the church allow themselves to fall into spiritual sleep and begin neglecting the Lord's commands, God, God can and does at times use unbelievers to call us out. As John uh, Ransom distri- uh, demonstrated to us in the, the sermon series we just came out of, we're seeing this in recent years as the church comes out of its rel- uh, relative silence regarding racial justice. And there's a lot that could be said about that. Where, where I just wanted to, to comment about, you know, there really was 
relative silence about this in many areas of the church. And we're seeing uh, some parts of the church begin to speak out now. And, you know, sadly, a lot, in, a lot of, uh, in a lot of areas, it wasn't the church who first spoke up. And it's something that the church must repent about. And it's, it's kind of ironic. But God will speak through whomever he wants to speak, and he will do that to wake us up. So Jonah wakes up, but he doesn't come clean about his situation. He has to be, it has to be pulled out of him. So the, the mariners cast lots. I just wonder what's going through Jonah's mind. Like, huh, I wonder how that's going to come out. You know, like maybe it comes out like that guy. Maybe he's the reason for the storm. Not me who's running away from God to prophesy. And when they question him, he defends. He falls back on his identity in relation to God, which is really a bad move because what he's doing like totally contradicts that. Like it doesn't make any sense at all. It just it just makes him look dumber, really. Uh, whenever he tries to defend himself by saying, "Well, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land." I just wonder if he could if he was saying that with a straight face or if he was really struggling. Because the mariners are definitely seeing the contradictions. In, in this verbal expression of identity uh, uh, versus Jonah's actions, they, they say to him, they say, what is this that you have done? By the way, in ancient times, that was not a good thing to be said to you. They're, they're saying, you're an idiot. What are you doing? What? You're running away from God. Now we're all going to die. That's what they're saying to Jonah. The writer doesn't record the exact response to that from Jonah, but I just wonder what he said in response or if he even tried. He does confirm to them that he, he was trying to flee from the presence of God who made the whole universe, which I'm sure made him look even smarter. Either way, his rebellion is exposed. He cannot claim to be doing something innocent here, that he was just confused, that his actions were justifiable. Rebellion always looks unwise when confronted with the truth. It only looks attractive while you are under the power of and therefore being blinded by a lie. That's the only time when rebellion actually looks attractive. So when the mariners ask him what they should do to him to get the sea calm, Jonah seems to know that God will, will accept nothing short of Jonah himself. So the mariners realize this uh, too whenever they try and they fail to row back to land. The, uh, the irony of the situation continues to build as the mariners who have been endangered by Jonah's actions then pray to Yahweh themselves to ask that they not be held guilty for their role in his death. Jonah may have, give, have words that give lip service to the fear of God, but the foreigners are actually walking it out at this moment. And the mariners, they then hurl Jonah overboard. The sea calms. And verse 16 says that they feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. God even used the wrong-headed actions of his rebellious prophet to make himself known to others. Um, 
That's a very unconventional evangelism approach. I don't recommend it. Uh, it's no guarantee that it's going to turn out that way, but it does demonstrate God's goodness, his compassion, his sovereignty, that he used these actions by Jonah to even make himself known to others. So let's take a few moments to reflect now on this whole chapter. Have you recognized yourself yet? I recognize myself in this. Like Jonah, we'll be serving faithfully, feeling really good about our own obedience, and then he prompts us to do something that really challenges us, that exposes some unbelief and rebellion that we've allowed to lurk in our hearts. As a father, I'm, I'm, rem I'm reminded of this daily when my preschooler runs away. Preschoolers run a lot. They run a lot. Like every time it's time to eat, it's time to sleep, it's time to do anything but watch Paw Patrol. Uh, preschooler runs. That's right, Paw Patrol. <laughs> See, Paw Patrol. Uh, But she's not the only runner in the home, is she? I still tend to run too. My running is just a little more subtle. I've learned to conceal my running, at least from others, you know, so I don't get called out. I've learned to make it justifiable to the average person. Sometimes I find myself hiding amongst the busyness and doing good things. Uh, things that I'm called to do scripturally, uh, but I, I don't necessarily have to do right now instead of the thing that God's actually calling me to do right now, that he's prompting me in my heart to do. Uh, occasionally, I, I hide behind my, my, uh, my supposed righteous anger. I hide behind it. No, I'm not going to forgive them, encourage them, say sorry, whatever, the list goes on and on. I'm not going to do that because it made me really angry and I'm just not over that yet, you know? They said this, they did this. I don't even know if they'll react the way that they should. You know, it won't do any good. Don't you think Jonah thought it wouldn't do any good to walk into the capital of a terrorist state and call for their immediate unconditional surrender? That didn't make a whole lot of sense, probably. And a lot of times, we reason it away whenever God calls us to uh, give words of encouragement to somebody who they haven't even said sorry for what they, what they did to us before yet. Uh, uh, maybe they are running in rebellion, and just we're, we, got, we got their, their character totally pinned down. We're like, nope, they're going to respond this way. It's not going to do any good, so I'm just not going to do it. It's not going to have any fruit, God, right? Because we're really saying that to God whenever he's prompting us to do it. We're saying to God, it's not going to bear any fruit. I know better than you, or it's not going to bear any fruit, so therefore, why are, you, why are you doing this? You need to provide more justification for this, God. You need to convince me that I need to do this. There are, there are times when I question the reasoning or the sensibleness of the task. I reason it away. The human heart is complex, and the, 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 there are 
uh, as many distinct escape routes leading away from the presence and mission of God as there are people. So, that, so I, can, I, can, I can give examples, but you will need to pin down what are your go-to escape routes. What are the ones that you use? How does that conversation go whenever God calls you to do something? He calls you to go to a people or a person and you run. What, what proceeds you're running or what's going through your mind whenever you try to escape? Uh, what it, how does that conversation go? So let me ask that directly. What is your Tarshish? What's your not Nineveh? Where do you find yourself going away from the presence of God? And so I said earlier, in a way it doesn't matter, but in one aspect it matters because there can be patterns. There could be said there's an, there could be an idol that is really pulling you towards it uh, instead of you being drawn to the presence of God. What do you find yourself choosing instead of the, the mission that he's calling you to? A few months ago, our, our MC did a study on Jonah, and I asked, I asked this question. Some of the answers that came back were my own laziness, comfort, pride. I want to keep my pride intact because God's, God's mission a lot of times kills my pride. I don't feel like killing my pride, so I run. Not wanting to deviate from already planned efforts, that's a big one for me. If I've already planned something, I've been like, yes, this is the plan, this is how we're going to do it. God's like, nope, we're doing something else. And I'm like, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling really hard because I already invested in this. Like Jonah invested in the boat. And then the mariners throw off the cargo to like see if they, they, can, they can stay on the boat and be safe. How many times do we, we try to stay on the boat? And we'll, we'll throw other things out, but we're not getting out of the boat. We're like, maybe if I throw this out, maybe if I jettison that, then I can stay on this and continue running. And God's like, no, I'm after you. And until you get off that boat, the storm's not going to stop. A couple other things that were mentioned is what we think our lives should be or should be in the future. Sometimes we hold a picture in our mind of what our lives should be like or what they should be like in the future. And anything that tries to come in the way of that, any deviation from that, we just push aside. And it's okay to push that aside whenever there's distractions, like things are actually distracted. But God's mission is not a distraction. It's the mission. And at that point, your plans become a distraction once he gives you his mission. All other plans go into the blurred background and you, your plans become a distraction and your heart is in the spotlight. A couple more questions. What is your Nineveh, the place, the people, the mission you try to escape. We just finished a sermon series on the gospel and racial justice. We're still chewing on that. Uh, please keep chewing on that. Don't stop. If you already think you have it solved, you haven't. You don't have it solved. I don't have it solved. This is something that the church will need to continue chewing on, continue going back to the gospel, continually going to God and saying, how are we going to be a people that, uh, that executes racial justice? 
Have you already felt a pull to try to escape the call that you received in that series? I've felt the pull. Like, I need to move on. We've got so many other things to do. But we're still called to that. We're still called to it. We can't tie it up with a bow in one week and be like, done, set it aside, set it and forget it. I'm good now. I think my preschooler knows that I always catch her when she runs because I, I always do. She runs anyway. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop her. Even though I always catch her, she still runs. Um, even though God always catches us, we still tend to run. Again, sin doesn't make sense. Rebellion doesn't make sense. It's not using really logical thinking. Despite God's sovereignty, we still run. And our good Father, He pursues us. This is the good news. I've talked a lot about how sin is dumb. But here's the good news. God loves us so much that he will never stop pursuing us, ever. He won't stop. You can throw at him whatever you want. You can run again and again. He won't stop. This is not about us. Like if we stop running, we're going to keep ourselves saved. We're going we're gonna to make sure that God's mission gets gets done because of, because of us. No, he will make sure his mission gets done. I want you to take away today, he will make sure it gets done, but he's calling you to abandon your escape plans. He loves you and he'll never stop running. And he, he is wiping away the record of your sin. He is wiping it away even as you have just done it. He's already made provision for that. He's not standing over you in judgment and saying, you're stupid. He's not saying, you're stupid. His judgment was proclaimed against sin. His judgment was proclaimed against sin and the, the devil and the works of the devil. That's, who he's, that's what he's saying and who he's saying is dumb. You, he's saying, I love you and I, I have this for you to do. And I'm calling you to, to abandon your escape plans because I have something much better for you. you. You gave yourself reasons to think that you have something better. But no, son, daughter, I have something much better for you. It's not this. I won't allow you to keep going towards that. I won't allow you to have that as your reward. You're going to have my reward. Pastor Eric Mason comments that God uses divine interruptions to stop us abruptly in what we're, what we're doing to get us to go in the direction where he wants us to go. He does not provoke his children, just as the Bible says, don't, fathers, don't provoke your children. He doesn't, but he does mercifully surface the lurking rebellion and unbelief in our hearts. As for the question, why does God even use us if he doesn't need us? Pastor Brad Watson answers it this way, and this is, where we'll conclude. Pastor Brad Watson says, he's choosing us because he wants us to experience the joy of participating in his renewal work and because he wants to do something within us. While we are on mission as his sent people, our good father faithfully pursues us as his mission. He's pursuing us. We are his mission while on his mission. So this week we saw the God who pursues. 
Next week, when we pick up in verse 17 and we continue through chapter 2, we'll see how God continues pursuing us because Jonah's not done running. And we aren't done running. We still tend to run. Our sanctification isn't done yet. So we tend to run. He's not done pursuing. And we'll see how God continues to pursue through the act of rescue. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't stop running, running after us. We thank you that you have not sat in judgment over us, even though our, our sin deserved judgment. Our sin deserves uh, to stay in the open sea and to receive death. But you come and you rescue us because you love us, because you've called us your sons and daughters. You're calling us now to, to, to abandon those escape routes, to abandon our, our plans that keep us from what you're calling us to do. We thank you, Father, you never give up. You never stop running. You're the ever-chasing God, not for a little while chasing God, not until this time chasing God, but you're the ever-chasing God. You always run after us, and we thank you. We pray that you give us grace today to, be, to have the courage to look at our hearts, to ask ourselves these questions, to stay in that moment of conviction and let your conviction work in our hearts, to not try to escape the conviction by reasoning it, reasoning it away or, or justifying it. Help us have conversations with you, Father God, that, that end in, in our obedience. And thank you whenever they don't end in our obedience that you chase after us and you bring us back. Pray that as a church we would heed your call, Father God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says that while we were still weak and at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, we can change that up a little bit and say that while we were still running, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul later on, just a few verses later, says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we are still running, while we're actively rebelling against God, Christ died for us. That is the pursuit. He sent his only son to reconcile us to himself. And every week as we do, we come to the table to reflect on that sacrifice. And this is a visible representation of that pursuit. This is something we can see every week, week in and week out, that our Father pursues us. He sent his only son to reconcile us to himself. So as we come this morning to partake of the elements, reflect on the pursuing God, his nature of sending his only son to reconcile us to himself because we always run. There's no moment where we're, we're absolutely perfect in, in our obedience to him. There's always a rebellion, tendencies, there's always something, and yet he pursues us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So take a few moments to reflect, to, to confess, and when you're ready, come forward and partake of the elements. We do have a gluten-free uh, cracker on this side if you need that. Take a few moments, pray and reflect, and when you're ready, come forward.
Would you join me in singing the truth of Romans 5, 6 through 8 this morning? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die, possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just the right time, Christ died. You see, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly, for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. demonstrates his own love, but God demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong, in the Savior's love, through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of Darkness hides his face. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within. Savior's love through 
John, are you still in the room? John Semper? Okay. You want to give us a benediction here in a moment? Before he, before he does that, though, I just wanted to say, I think it started raining a little sooner than a lot of us expected. I, I didn't see many of you come with a, an umbrella. So if you're, if you're unprepared, um, if you're visiting, there is a collection of umbrellas in the back of the room. You're more than welcome to take one of those. And even if you never plan to come back, that's okay. You can take the umbrella with you and stay dry. Uh, I, I announced that one time, and somebody had recently placed a very nice umbrella that had been gifted to them in that rack to dry out during the service. So if that's you this morning, please go get that before it disappears and goes to somebody else's house. The other thing I wanted to say, I did notice a few of you moms who were unaccompanied this morning, but you had a bunch of kids, or even just one kid. Um, one's enough, right? It's a lot of work. So if that's you, especially, and you parked over at the USO, um, why don't you just come down front when we're all done, if you'd like. Johnny and I can go get your car. He's a great driver. Um, you, are a good, you are a good driver. They're only laughing because they don't know. They don't know. Um, and I'm sure there are some other people who would be happy to walk over there and get a car for you, and we can pull it up uh, right to the curb. Or if you're visiting with us, this parking lot's also ours. It's really hard to find a spot there. But what you can do is just pull right in, and your family could meet you there. Like You can wait underneath the overhang. But don't get drenched with your kids on the way back. Let us go get... Um, Go get your car for you. John, if you want to come up and give us a benediction. And while he's coming up, just a reminder, next week we do resume our 11, 11? 11 o'clock. So we'll gather at 09 and 11 if 11 is better for you. Never done a benediction before, and I'm going to be honest, I did not prepare for this. But um, I'll try to learn by next week. <laughs> In the meantime... Um, Go knowing that your, your heavenly father pursues you uh, 24 hours a day and he loves you. And when he sits you down uh, and, and convicts you of your sin, think of, uh, if you have kids, think of you sitting down with your child and you don't condemn them. Instead, you say, I love you, uh, but come back to obedience. And he's calling you that go in his grace, go in his peace and in his love. Uh, I love you guys. Have a great week.